0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official
1: rules at frito com. Welcome in Card Chronicle podcast. Uh, Mike Rutherford, Danny Sonoma, and folks, folks, folks. <laughs> we got some issues here. Uh, the the podcast we didn't want to do is about to be done. Uh, Louisville falls to Georgia Tech last week, a game that I think, uh, I know I was, I think Danny was. I, I'm assuming most of you listening were expecting Louisville to win, kind of right the ship, get things going into this big game against Notre Dame, and instead we got issues. Uh, it, w- it was a, I mean, you know what happened. I, I, I'll start with this, Dan, you were. Very fired up Friday night, so fired up that you wanted to do an emergency pod at like uh, at like 11:30 midnight. I True. We were, I thought we were neither one of us was in the the right headspace. But you've had a few days now to marinate on this loss, to look at the state of the team. Are you as upset as you were that night, or do you want to let all of those emotions fly again right now?
0: I think I'm just a little more at a loss. I, I kind of feel like. The same way as as uh, Scott Satterfield, I feel like he kind of is in shock that the final score ended up being a 19 point loss. But I mean, just overall, I don't want to say it was a horseshit effort, but it was a horseshit performance. Um, certainly, there's a couple plays that could have changed the game. You know, right off the bat, the the drop pass by Pfeiffer. You know missing 2-2 but you know those are things that we connected on last year that we're just not hitting this year and that we just it feels like we have such a small margin for error um, this year for whatever reason and I mean the defense I don't it's it's tough it's tough to watch I mean uh, I know the talent's not there but sometimes I mean tackling is a little bit more than talent it's about want. but again I I know that they're undermanned and they're in a tough spot, but I mean, my God, it's Georgia tech where there's no way we should be giving up that many points to Georgia tech. So very disappointing, really kind of don't know where we go from here. Um, and yeah, I mean, Saturday should be interesting to see how they respond off this, but I'd be lying if I say I'm very nervous for how the rest of the season might turn out.
1: I feel like Georgia Tech has become the new Wake Forest for us. Remember, like, Wake Forest for the first couple of years in the ACC was sort of, I don't know, they've dealt us a randomly bad basketball loss here and there. They played us closer than they should have when they had shitty teams. They beat us in football a couple of times and then beat us down in football a couple of times when they were just okay and, you know, Matt Colburn was on his revenge tour. Now it kind of, like, all of a sudden Georgia Tech, they deal us, like, one of the biggest ass-kickings in college football history a couple of years ago, Beat us in what I think is, and we'll talk about this in a second, probably the worst, or at least the most disappointing loss of the Scott Satterfield era so far. They beat us in basketball last year when we were kind of at a low. I don't, I don't like that Georgia Tech is the team that's doing this to us. It, like anybody, but the, the school that is headlined by Josh Passner. like that just it, it, it cannot happen. But here we are, and I mean, do am I going overboard saying that this is? I don't even, it it depends on how you qualify worst. I don't want to say worst loss of the Scott Satterfield era, but I think it's definitely the most disappointing. Like getting blasted last year by UK in what was supposed to be kind of a a pick 'em game, that was bad. Um, But the season was already kind of established. You knew it was going to be a successful year. The Miami beat down either one of them this year or last year was certainly embarrassing. But this was the first time where I think we all went into a game with a lot of confidence and it just went, horribly awry like to me this is the worst loss that scott satterfield's had so far what do you
0: think i completely agree because early on in the game it seemed like we were in control i mean we're up 21 7 i you know i'm thinking already i mean and this is a bad on my part but i'm already kind of thinking ahead to next week um you know how we're going to play against notre dame and then the wheels just came right off i mean um yeah and and the, the disappointing part is I feel like Georgia Tech, it, it, you know, that's kind of the program I, I kind of look to see, OK, how fast is our rebuild going to go? Because we hired coaches at the same time. Obviously, last year we were more successful. So I was like, this would be a nice one just to say, OK, we are way ahead of them as far as the rebuild goes. And to have that happen, it's just so disappointing, um, you know, that I the one thing is, that I, I do have a little I mean if this would have happened in maybe the Bobby Petrino era um, the second go round you would have seen players give up the coaching staff give up on the players as we saw so I still think this team is close knit obviously they're not as talented as as we want them to be they obviously have to hit the recruiting trail so I could still see them coming back and responding um, but even you know with a a good response I just don't know from a talent standpoint how many wins we're going to be able to put up this year
1: Uh, the disappointing thing I think you hit the nail on the head with the fact that we both hired coaches at the same time everybody was I think they were picked to finish last in the coastal division last year we were picked to finish last in the Atlantic division the issue was I think we saw firsthand a year ago that we had more talent on that terrible Petrino team in 2018 than Georgia Tech had with Jeff Collins inheriting them and basically launching an entirely new system. And that was the big thing with the Georgia Tech rebuild was you're going from a triple option offense where you just do one thing repeatedly, repeatedly to an entirely new system. I mean, they talked about it during the game on Friday – their center had never snapped shotgun before last year. He was the the triple option center a couple of years ago. Um, like we should be ahead of where they were. When you see what we brought back and when you see the, the success that we were able to have right out of the gate last year, there's a reason why tech was picked to finish last out of all 15 teams in the ACC this year. And we were picked to finish fourth and for them to, you know, handle us the way that they did on Friday night was disheartening because they're recruiting really well. Jeff Collins, I, I think is the right guy for that job. And they kind of, I know I wrote this on card. They kind of did what we did in year two under Charlie strong in taking the fairly highly touted kids that we just recruited the freshmen and the sophomores and just throwing them out there. I mean, Jeff Simpson is a true freshman quarterback. He shouldn't be able to have the type of success that he had in a game like Friday nights. And he did. And that's on the Louisville defense. So to see tech be better than us uh, on Friday was really disheartening for obvious reasons. But if you go a little bit deeper, like you said, it's even more discouraging because we should be on a path that puts us slightly ahead of them. And uh, we weren't. And uh, I I mean, is it as simple, though? And I know Keith is a big proponent of this. Keith kind of says, you know, throw out the talk about they're not playing with a chip on their shoulder anymore. They're not playing with bounds. The issue is, they're just turning the ball over at times when they can't turn the ball over and Louisville going up against what a Georgia tech team that going into Friday night was the worst team in the entire country in turnover margin. Louisville doesn't force a single yellow jacket turnover and they have three really, really crucial loss fumbles to by Asan hall. Um, that kind of, I, I think have rattled his confidence and they lose the turnover battle 3-0 in a game that looked sort of like a coin flip on paper. It, I mean, is it as simple as that? Are are, are we wasting, you know, breath talking about all this other stuff? Is it just, hey, stop turning the ball over and maybe force some other turnovers on the other side?
0: Obviously, it's going to be hard to win any game when you're losing the turnover battle 3 nothing. I, you know, again, Keith knows more about X's and O's um, than I ever will um, as far as football goes. I'm looking at it from a, a fan standpoint and just kind of, kind of what I'm seeing from my eyes I mean, the glaring weakness, obviously, I mean, we do have playmakers on offense, uh, but the glaring weakness, you know, is obviously the defense and particularly for me, the defensive line. I I really think everything starts up there. If you're not getting pressure on the quarterback, um, you know, a, you're not forcing them into any mistakes. It's putting pressure on our defensive backfield, who, to be honest, has been, a lot more underwhelming this year than I anticipated coming into the game. Um, But again, that they're, you know, they're having to cover with not a lot of pressure on the quarterback, which it does make it a little bit harder on them, but the the tackling by them has been inexcusable. Um, It's been really bad. So I don't know. I, again, I, I, I just look at it from a talent perspective Um, I just think we're, we're very far behind as far as defensive playmakers, um, you know, on that side of the ball. So I, it's, it's kind of tough. I I don't know where we go from there. You know, you can blame Brian Brown. I, I honestly think, you know, he holds some of the responsibility that we have really, it doesn't seem like improved from year one to year two, but again, you know, the personnel hasn't changed a whole lot. So we're we're kinda getting the same thing that we got last year and it's 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 tough to watch, but I don't know if it's really gonna change in, until we get some improved personnel in there.
1: If and I, I hate calling out players by name, so I we'll kinda do it lightheartedly, but if Isaiah Hayes gets jumped over by one more guy. Oh boy,
0: that, that think, was tough to watch. That was I think tough. He has
1: to quit. You you can't get jumped over for a touchdown three times in one season. It's happened twice. I don't think that he we, – we can't let it – like, just stay upright. Just make sure that that should be your top priority now. One, be in the general vicinity of the area that you're supposed to be covering. Two, don't get jumped over. Just do not do not let that happen again. But I, I don't know. I mean, the tackling was bad. At least there was no – the only broken play that we had where George Sack had a wide-open dude was a, a trick play. I, I guess you kind of write that up. I, I'm, I'm more with you than I am with Keith. I think obviously the turnovers are – a clear explainer for why things haven't gone quite as smoothly as we were expecting them to. Again, I'll throw out the stat for the 50th time Louisville. Oh, and eight under Scott Satterfield when losing the turnover battle, Uh, just one and eight when actually winning it. The only game we've won when we've lost the turnover battle was the Western Kentucky game this year uh, in the season opener. But it, it just seems to me like there's, a lack of a bounce that was there last year they're not playing with the type of the chip on the shoulder like we like that Georgia Tech team that we watched Friday night reminded me so much of us a year ago and that was sad I mean because I'm, I'm with you when it was 21-7 in the first half the first half felt like a 2019 Louisville game where it's pretty clear that we're the superior team we had you know a few mistakes we let them have a couple of drives we shouldn't we turnovers. But then things were, your know, order was restored. JV Hawkins was a beast. The O-line in this game, actually, I thought controlled the line of scrimmage the best that they have all year long. And it was sad that we let that performance go to waste. But you know, when it's 21 seven, you're feeling like, all right, like we're going to assert our will in the second half. We're going to run away with this thing. We're going to, you know, miss four onside kicks at the end of the game and make the final score close. But it, it's going to be like last year. And then it's the total reverse. George Tech ends the game on a 32 to six run and those are the things that we just didn't see from this team last year. When when Louisville got its ass kicked a year ago, it got its ass kicked from start to finish. There, there were no games like this. And I think if this was in a vacuum, we talk about it a little bit differently. But when it's coming on the heels of consecutive losses to uh, conference opponents, it's a little bit different. So I, I'm with you. Like, I don't think this is a terrible football team. I don't think it's a team that's going to you know, just totally tank and go three and eight or, or two and nine or something like that. I think there are still wins out there. But we've now gotten to the point where it, it seems impossible for this squad to have the type of season that a lot of us thought they were going to, and that we all wanted them to have. And it's disappointing. It's, it's disappointing to be in this place in mid-October because I really thought that we would be going into this Notre Dame game with at least some hope that it was going to, you know, matter in, in the race to be in the conference championship game. Like I, that's kind of where I thought we'd be two and one, maybe three and zero, oh, and this would be a big time deal. And instead. It kind of feels like, I mean, Notre Dame's a 17-point favorite, and it feels justified.
0: Yeah, the, to me, the, the the saddest part of the game, and maybe, maybe this wasn't the case, it's just how I looked at it, was at the very end of the game when we had timeouts to use when Georgia Tech was down in the red zone. Um, obviously, the game was out of hand, but we still had timeouts to use, so Georgia Tech runs a play. Um, with like, I think it was like a minute and a half left or something. We don't call timeout. So, you know, uh, I, in my personal opinion, I I, I think S- Coach Satterfield was just like, hey, uh, you know, I, I don't want to leave these kids out here to get scored upon again. So then I think on the next play, we do get a stop. So he's like, all right, well, I guess I kind of have to use a timeout here. And then, of course, they score like on the next play, which just, I mean, uh, obviously, a 12-point loss is bad, but 19 makes it look even worse. And I, I honestly think he didn't even want to use timeouts because he knew that we couldn't stop them from scoring, which is, it, you know, just absolutely disheartening. That that's kind of where our defense is at right now. But yeah, like you said, I mean, going into next week, uh, I I do think the 17 and a half point, you know, underdog label is justified, and <laughs> it's gonna. I mean, with the way Notre Dame has an offensive defensive line compared to ours. Um, it's, it's a little bit scary, you know, what might happen, but hopefully the confidence of kind of playing them close last year, um, you know, might help a little bit, but it, yeah, it's, uh, it's Saturday should be interesting. We'll kind of find out h- how this team responds to probably the biggest adversity that they've faced so far under this coaching staff.
1: Here's my biggest complaint from the game. And you said, you know, Satterfield watching the game had to be aware that his defense couldn't stop anybody. The not taking the penalty when that, it would, yeah. Be. I mean, you have basically you're down to a choice of do you want to give Georgia Tech third and goal from the 19, I guess it would be, or fourth and goal from the four. And we elected to, I mean, And I guess you should take into consideration the fact that Georgia Tech's kicking game had been an absolute catastrophe. You knew they were going to go for it if you had fourth and goal from the four. You knew that you're giving them two opportunities if you give them third and goal from the 19. We pushed them back. We gave them third down. In a normal situation, I can kind of understand where you're coming from there. But when you have a defense that is this suspect, I just don't think you can give the other team extra downs. And I mean, they didn't even need the second down. They go ahead and score. And I texted in our UFL text group. I was like, if they score on this play, I'm gonna have to go outside. <laughs> and I was like, right away. I'm like, I'm going, fucking going outside. I'm like, this. It was. That was the most frustrated I've been after a Louisville football game since. I mean, even I guess early 2018 maybe, because late 2018 it was like, who cares? Like you knew what you were getting into every single Saturday, but this game just it was reminiscent of parts of the Miami and parts of the pig and even parts of the Western Kentucky game where you just feel like things should be better. Like you're just so close to having a complete football game to playing a clean game. And then just dumb shit happens and you you don't get it back. And, you know, the Ian Pfeiffer drop early in the game. Des Fitzpatrick not making, I think, a big-time effort to make a play on third and six. I think he's been frustrated by his lack of targets. One way you get more targets is by stepping up and making a senior play there. He didn't get it done. Malik Cunningham just being a little bit off in in his decision-making and his deep balls. Like just all that stuff piling up. And then some, I think, questionable decision-making from the sidelines has been – it's all just equaled up to a really, really frustrating first month of football. And here we are, 1-3 overall and 0-3 in the ACC. I, I mean – I think it's going to get better, but we've said that for three weeks now, and I'm tired of kind of predicting. And I don't—I have no idea how the rest of the year is going to go, to be quite frank. Like, I don't think they're going to quit. I like, think this coaching staff and this team have built uh, enough of a culture that they're going to win the games that they should win uh, moving forward. But I no longer know which games they should win. Like, I—I I have no idea how the next month and a half is going to go.
0: Yeah, and I, I
1: mean, I'm—I'm I'm on offense. I mean,
0: gosh, you can tell we have athletic playmakers. Um, and I just don't know if last year was just a, a flash in the pan for Malik. Um, he's just missing so many more throws this year where last year he connected. And it's I mean, it's just killing us. Um, Face
1: the name back. I mean, let's let's say it. Take <laughs> back to McHale. Don't worry, yeah. Don't worry about how people are going to react. You you have not won a game as a starter under the name Malik. Go back to McHale. Just just do it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tough to watch and. Uh, I'll let Keith
0: speak to more on this, but it just seems like we're dropping him back in the pocket, Um, and I just don't know if that's really his best asset. I'd like to see him kind of get out on the edge more um, and and have the option to either run or pass. Um, That would be my preference, but I don't know. It's... You know, what the three, I mean, the three fumbles obviously killed us. That's just tough. It's, it's hard to get any momentum offensively if if you drive the whole field and, and you fumble. Um, but again, complete a couple of those passes. It's a, it's a different game. You just, you got to hit on those. I I know it's, it, it it sounds simple, but it's just something then in the uh, next couple of weeks, hopefully we're able to hit on.
1: Do you remember the old, um, Friend of the pod, Rob Shankenfelder, was obsessed with this video. I know we watched it a bunch, like, late aughts era. Remember the video from the Home Shopping Network where the guy is, like, describing the painting that's uh, <laughs> actually a butterfly? And he's, like, <laughs> yeah. the horse? he's, like, he's like, look at that big bushy tail, the huge hooves. <laughs> I felt like that was Andre Ware calling the game on Friday night for, the, uh, for ESPN because they'd show a replay. I mean, for instance, the Ian Pfeiffer. Like, ball's right there, right through his hands, and he's, like, just Malik Cunningham overthrowing him there. Like, just just, just <laughs> missed him. If you're Malik Cunningham, like, just get a little too jumpy there. I'm like, what the fuck is he watching? It felt like that Home Shopping Network clip. I mean, there'd be, like, a a very clear fumble for Louisville, and he's like, I don't know. He's like, it, clearly down there. I'm like, what what, what are you what, – what's going on? It was the worst. Our guy Eric Wood was fantastic, looked dapper. But Andre Ware, man, step it up. Yeah, he,
0: he kept saying Javion had two fumbles when it was Hassan. Yeah. Um and I, I saw people bashing the the broadcast a little bit. I mean, me and you we talked about this. We're both Bonetti guys. Um, he 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 does a great job with Love college that. basketball. He calls White Sox baseball. Um, overall, I I do like him. He did have a couple missteps, which is a little out of character for him. But yeah, I mean, Andre Ware, he's. That that was tough to listen to, but um. And Eddie
1: gave the uh, the Gorgie Zhang shout out. Epic. Oh god, that was that was like literally the highlight of the game, to be honest. I mean, that's when I was flipping out the most. It was after that uh, the, the decision not to take the penalty. We blocked the extra point to stay ahead, and he's like swatting it like Gorgy Zhang. I'm like, God damn it, buddy. You, you're breaking something in my house. The, yeah. The, when I fell in love with him for the first time, he does. I mean, he's the the poor bastard who's assigned to do college basketball games with Dan Dockich a lot of the time. Yeah. For, he did the game like a, like a week after Dockich had reported that Jeff Brom was officially hired at Louisville and there was going to be a press conference on November 29th and Dockich had done the whole thing. And again, for the, Fiftieth time, Dockett's completely wrong. He's wrong about everything. Never buy into. Him. I don't know how he has a job with ESPN, but that's a topic for another day. And Benetti, during the broadcast, like Dockett cited some report about some other bullshit they were talking about, and Benetti's like, "Do you want to talk about any other reports, Dan? Uh, like maybe some that you threw out yourself? Like maybe? <laughs> and like just like kept egging him on. I was like, "Thank. I was like, I will be forever indebted to you. You'll always have my support. Thank you for calling this man out. Uh, but I'm with you. He, he's he's terrific. Other I think bright spots. I mentioned the offensive line I thought they played really well. How the fuck did Ryan Harwell not win the punting job going into this?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, god, he just put the ball wherever he wants. Just drop mean, it on <laughs> the one, drop it. I was like, "Okay, what do, what are we what's happening in practice here that I'm not seeing cuz uh, yeah, go ahead and hand this guy the Ray Guy
1: award." I mean, I te- after the first two, I texted joking or tweeted jokingly like best punter of all time. And I'm getting like bombarded from people who are trying to like uh, take up for Mason King, including this guy who's like David King. So Mason texts me at halftime and he's like, "Just so you know, that's not my dad. It's 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 my uncle who's who's trying to take up for me." And I'm like, "I was just making a joke, man." I appreciate what what you've done for the program. He's a Ryan Harwell fan. He likes uh, Lupo, too, but uh, I think he thought that Harwell had the most talent out of the, the three punters that were looking to replace him. But, yeah, I mean, he was great. I don't know how – I feel like we could have saved ourselves a month full of heartache if we just gone ahead and started him from day yeah. one. Yeah,
0: I mean, the first half when we were rolling, I mean, I, I texted you. The punt that he had literally changed the game. You know, yeah. we got down 7 nothing and we, we finally flipped field position, and – Um, things kind of took off from there. So, yeah, at least I would say that's a bright spot. And I know Javion uh, Hawkins had the fumble, but, God, he ran his ass off. I have no bad things to say about him. He he looked like an absolute beast that entire game, Um, looked tough to bring down. So, you know, he's been obviously the bright spot of our program for two years now. And, um, yeah, hopefully – you know, he gets iced up. I, I, I hate that Hassan Hall fumbled twice because I'm a big Hassan fan, um, but it's it's tough to keep putting him out there if he's going to put the ball on the ground. Um, we've seen it a couple of times happen against Miami. Uh, so, yeah, got to get that fixed, but um, good to see Hawkins running hard.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jamie's uh, fantastic. He, he's now third in the country overall in rushing yards and I think ninth in the country in rushing yards per game. He's just as good as advertised, but – you need he needs a break and this the dynamic backfield was supposed to be one of our biggest assets this year and it doesn't work like it should if you can't throw Hassan Hall out there for you know a few series and right now he's a liability with the ball in his hands and I don't know how you fix that but it just cannot keep happening and there's not a whole lot of depth I know Maurice Berkeley's gotten some carries um I know the kid from Manuel's gotten some carries but Hall and Hawkins are your workhorses those are your guys and if you don't have Hassan Hall like you can't Javian can't be out there carrying the ball 35 times a game. He's five foot like three. He's tiny. He cannot take that much of a beating. Uh, he's been amazing at taking it so far through the first uh, couple of years here, but he needs to be a guy who, at the most, is carrying the ball. I think 26 times is what he carried it uh, against Georgia Tech. That's got to be about the limit. I don't think he can he can handle much more than that. Just on Hall to be good, and also he's such a special teams weapon. Um, after that fumble on special teams. Javian Hawkins was out there returning kicks and punts like you need Hassan Hall back there to handle that duty as well so yeah you got to get that rectified Um, we'll turn the page ahead briefly here I'll I'll answer this question I did ask for questions on Twitter we're not going to get to a whole lot of them just because there's other things to talk about but the one that people wanted us to address and it's understandable when a season has gone not the way it was supposed to in a negative fashion but people keep asking you know is the Scott Satterfield honeymoon over I feel like the honeymoon phrase can't even be tossed around when you get into year two. Like he's going to be praised if he wins. He's going to be criticized if he loses. And that's where we are. I mean, I, I don't think anybody is saying, at least anybody rational is saying, you know, fire Scott Satterfield. He's not the right guy for this job. He was the wrong hire. But I think it's fine to be disappointed. I think it's fine to say this season hasn't gone the way that it was supposed to. It hasn't gone the way that it probably should have, given what, what was coming back. Um, it, it's fine to be critical without going over the top, and I think that's where most Louisville fans are right now. So if you want to say the honeymoon's over, of course, yeah, it, it's definitely over. We're gonna judge Scott Satterfield like a uh, a guy who's getting deeper into his career from this point forward. yeah I and the thing is, we can judge him um
0: but again. And he was left with, uh, uh, as far as offensive playmakers, uh, a pretty full cupboard. Um, but there was <laughs> there's spots on the team that he wasn't left with anything. And until he gets his guys in there, I think it's hard to fully judge him um, because, I mean, the, the, one of the biggest parts of college football is recruiting. And we have to see what he's going to do with his guys and his system. Um, and I, I think, you know, right now, uh, it, it, is it fair to criticize how the season has gone? Of course, he's the head coach. Everything falls on him. But, you know, to, for anyone that calls for his job or anything like that, I mean, uh, that's nonsense and silly. I, I, I we need to give him some time, um, kind of develop some of these young kids and, and see what they turn into.
1: Are we ever going to get to a point where people don't use Steve Cragthorpe's name in a derogatory fashion, to describe the current coach because the amount of Satterthorpe tweets that I got from people, oh God. it made me feel bad for Steve. <laughs> like, people are like, Craig Trino, like, here comes uh, Craig Mac. Like, it's just, it's always, Steve Thorpe's always going to be the golden boy when it comes to just shitty Louisville coaches. And he's been gone for over 10 years now. But uh, like, are we going to get to a point like 40 years from now where we have, you know, Craig Ruffalo and people are like Ruffa here. I'm like, it's been five, it's been 50 years. And poor Steve just keeps getting kicked. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the
0: history of college and NFL programs that after Bobby Petrino left, like what happens to him, like the year or two after it's yeah. an absolute dumpster fire. Um, the first time he left at U of L, obviously we had Craig Thorpe and I mean, that was an absolute shit show. He left the Falcons, obviously, after a little bit, left them in shambles. And then Arkansas, I mean, the program is literally just now recovering, it seems, this year. They've had a pretty decent season so far. Um, and then uh, for Scott to do what he did last year after leaving, you know, after Petrino left what he left behind, um, I think it's a testament to him and his coaching staff. But again, you know, we'll, we'll see going forward once he, get, he gets his guys in there.
1: So quick look ahead to this weekend, 2.30 kickoff in South Bend against Notre Dame. One of the games that we all were really excited about uh, for this season, both before the you know COVID hit. This was a, a scheduled game originally. We were going to play up there as part of the Notre Dame ACC deal. Now it's obviously a conference game. Um, we both went up there in 2014, had a blast winning that game. That was such a, a fun experience for kids who grew up in the shadow of Notre Dame, pretty much your dad, it's a little bit more for you. Your dad went to Notre Dame and you guys kind of grew up as pseudo Irish fans. He's still, I think he, he's Notre Dame over Louisville. You and your brothers obviously were Louisville over Notre Dame, but still cheered for the Irish. It means a little bit more to you this weekend, doesn't it? Yeah. And
0: you know, I, I, I do pull for Notre Dame. It's hard for me to, I'm not a guy that really pulls for um, like name brand schools or, or, professional team of huge followings but obviously for my dad I know it makes him happy um but yeah it's it's wild I mean if you were to just and I know we talked about this like the first time that we played them like when we went there a couple years ago but from like where Louisville football was like in the late 80s and early 90s and where Notre Dame was and then for us to go up there I and I still think it's one of the coolest Louisville fan experience I had was when we walked in Notre Dame stadium to see how many Louisville fans were almost outnumbering Notre Dame fans was one of the most surreal things I think I'll ever see as a Louisville fan. I honestly couldn't believe it. Um, it was just truly astonishing to see how far our program had come. Um, and then to come out with, you know, a, a win on a last second missed field goal was, you know, awesome. But uh, yeah, definitely, it's a big game in the Sennard household for sure. Um, you know, I know my dad loves Louisville. You know, but I know he's obviously has strong ties to Notre Dame, so he, he's a little torn during this game. But um, it should be should be fun to watch.
1: How surprised do you think people listening are that who've been listening to you the <laughs> yeah, way you talk like... the last eight months? You're related to somebody who went to Notre Dame. No,
0: I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to say I, I let down my dad by not, <laughs> not getting into Notre Dame, but let's just say I didn't even apply. Um, but no, I mean, I know it, it's a huge deal to my dad. When we grew up in Chicago, he had actually dropped out of school and got married. Um, and then we were living in Chicago and he used to bus it to Notre Dame while I was born um, and go to night school up there. So, you know, I I, I know he takes a lot of pride. Um, being a Notre Dame alumni, and um, it, it's it's pretty cool for him. But, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully this week we we
1: hand him an L. It's sort of like when I tell people that my oldest brother had a full ride in Northwestern and almost graduated with a 4.0, and they're like, oh, what did what, you do? I'm like, not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, we, uh, we
0: took different paths. We'll just put it that way.
1: Uh, we got a couple of uh, quick uh, basketball notes to get to. First, this uh, an update on the Louisville bubble. Um, if you're not familiar with the the, the rules that Division One basketball has for this year, and they're still kind of fluctuating, it's it's all a mess. But teams are basically going to be allowed to have seven non-conference games in addition in addition to whatever their conference schedule is. So we're going to play the standard 20 ACC games. We've got seven non-con games to schedule. We're going to play Kentucky. We're going to play a Big Ten team in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and then you've got five games um, to schedule outside of that. So this Louisville bubble is going to happen, and we now know what the teams are going to to be, uh, with one exception. There's one team still to be named. I think we should find that out in the next couple of days. But we now know it's going to be Western Kentucky, who was supposed to be Louisville's opponent on the, the opening night. Um, Southern Illinois – Prairie View A&M, Arkansas Little Rock, Duquesne, uh, UNC Greensboro, and Winthrop are the teams that have, um, not officially, but that are going to be playing in this in this event. Southern Illinois and Prairie View, I think, still have not signed up, but they're expected to. And I know fans are kind of rolling their eyes and saying that's not really a murderer's row, but when you think about it in terms of the typical like Louisville basketball schedule, it's going to be a little bit better, honestly, like non-conference overall. There's no, like all of those teams with the exception of Prairie View, which plays in the SWAC, are going to be like top 200, top 175 Kenpon teams or um, RPI, whatever metric you want to use. Um, UNC Greensboro is going to be one of the best mid-majors in the country this year. Western Kentucky is super talented. They'll be a, a top 100 team. Um, Winthrop won its, they win the Big South every single year. Arkansas Little Rock won its conference last year. Duquesne's going to be a good team in the Atlantic 10, um, and you'd expect that. Some combination of those of, of you just mentioned there are going to be Louisville's opponents. So, and, and then you've got the two marquee games against UK and, and another Big Ten team that you would expect to be of top 25 caliber. So it's going to be more or less kind of like the non-conference schedule we've always seen. There are some games that you should win. There are some highlight games, some some spotlight games, and then there's some plucky, dangerous mid-major type teams. So I know that everybody wants to see seven games against you know Cincinnati, Memphis, Kentucky. Michigan State, like all these you just powers across the country, but it was never going to be like that. And with the ACC being the way it is, you can kind of expect that. So are you cool with the Louisville bubble being basically the teams that we just mentioned plus one?
0: Yeah, I'm totally cool with it, especially for this team um, with how much we lost last year. Um, it, I, I would really not like to be thrown to the wolves right off the bat. Not saying that some of these games won't be challenging, like you just said, but um, it'll be nice get the players feet wet with, um, some of these mid majors versus, you know, having to, and I know with COVID you wouldn't do it anyways, but having to go into maybe like a hostile environment or a big time school and play, but, um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how the beginning of the season goes with the non-conference I'm interested to see which big 10 team that we match up against is like, I'm trying to think which big 10 school, like, if if you had to guess which big 10 school do you think we play in the in the challenge uh,
1: i i don't know because they're not doing it usually they look at um you know who played at home last year who played on the road and they've kind of gotten away from that in recent years for instance we played back to back big 10 challenge games at at the KFC Yum Center so my guess is if they're doing it still the the standard way we're going to play somebody on the road. So you'd have to look at teams that didn't host games last year. And I'm not exactly sure who that would be. We've played Michigan, Michigan State. I'm thinking I- like a Maryland. Like we haven't played Maryland yet. I'm wondering th- if they're th- going to like, you know, play someone
0: that we haven't played. Um, I would love to would play. Be named. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Maryland's a team that obviously always has talent. But I mean, with Mark Turgeon, I always feel like there's an open door for victory. Um, but yeah, no, it, it'll be. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I I don't know with the way football is going. Obviously, I'm I'm still into the football season, but I'm just I'm I'm already like kind of looking ahead to basketball. I know we named our captains yesterday, which um, I'm pretty excited about. So yeah, I, I think practice starts today. So uh, I'm uh, I'm ready to get this going.
1: I'd love to see us play Iowa. I think that'd be fun. Like Luca Garza versus one of the best defensive big men in the country and Malik Williams, I think that'd be a fun matchup. Uh, and they they play a fun brand of basketball. Plus, Fran McCaffrey exploding as a ball Like, that'd be, okay. he and Chris Mack could go at it. That would be cool. Um, you mentioned, we're recording this Wednesday morning. Uh, Louisville did name its captains last night. They're going to talk to the media in a press conference later today. Um, Carly Jones and Malik Williams, they're the the captains that's voted on by their teammates. I'm good with this. I think it's cool. Um, Malik Williams kind of the established guy. He was a, a big-time uh, leader last year as a junior which was sort of unexpected given his character the first couple of, of seasons here it just didn't seem like a role that he'd be able to fill but he did um, and filled it really really well and then Carly Jones I said this right when he committed to Louisville if you because I watched you know way too much basketball and I watched him a couple of times a couple of full games including the Big South tournament last year the guy is a big time shit talker like he's going to talk trash he's going to be a dog he's going to clap uh, you know hands in the face of the dude that he's guarding like that's his mentality but he backs it up like he is a tireless worker and it's pretty clear that he already earned the respect of his teammates so i like i like the combination of having the dude who's been in the program for 4 years and everybody knows and respects and the newcomer who's going to be relied upon heavily but who has you know been an established college player for 4 years now i think it's a good combination Yeah. And
0: I think it's just it's a great sign that, you know, someone coming in their first year is voted captain. And for whatever reason, last night, I I guess I just wasn't thinking I, I texted you and I was like, oh, I'm excited about the captains. I'm like, but I guess they usually give it to, you know, seniors or upperclassmen. And then you did remind me last year that Malik was a junior and they they gave it to him. So obviously these these two are. Um, held by a high standard by the rest of their teammates and just the way we've kind of heard we've seen Malik we know what he can do but just kind of what we've heard from Chris Mack through his few press clippings over the summer I think uh, Carly Jones is going to have a big time year
1: all right, I don't know if you have a Dan in the dump story for today but I've got a I've got a Mike in the mud story you ready yeah let's hear the mic in the mud all right it's a little bit it's it's appropriate for spooky season here in the middle of October and this is I don't know if it's going to translate to the pod uh, as well as it did just like the way it actually happened. But here's the here's the deal. So last week we were walking. We, we do nightly walks with the dog and the baby. And so I'm telling my wife about something that I'd seen on Twitter earlier in the day. There'd been this viral post from somebody in Louisville who was trying to sell this like stuffed big baby giraffe that had been in their baby's nursery. And they're like, I don't who this is probably made up like the craigslist posting is probably made up but the person said this giraffe just appeared on our front door one day it was a gift we thought somebody had given it to us but we didn't know who and we just kept it the baby seemed to like it but then like the baby was crying a bunch and we thought that it was kind of weirding her out so we put it in different rooms every room we put this giraffe in it makes creepy noises, creepy noises come from the room. Like we're not sure what's going on, maybe it's haunted, like whatever, but if you wanna buy it, here it is. And people I guess do this, they, they have like haunted, haunted merchandise has become a big deal in, in the market. But so last week, Virginia was having this thing where she would go to sleep at night and like an hour and a half later, she'd wake up and she would seem really, really scared. She was like screaming in a different way, she was crying and she just needed to be rocked back to sleep. And so we're on a walk and I tell my wife, I told my wife about the giraffe story and I was like, maybe that spooky llama that always <laughs> in the room is doing this to Virginia. Like, 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 maybe it's waking her up. Maybe it's haunted. Like that's kind of, it, it's always kind of creeped me out. And for, for reference, this llama has been in the same place behind her crib in her nursery since before she was even born. We got it at a, at a, at a baby shower. It's always been there that night. At like one o'clock, same thing happens. Uh, Virginia starts crying. I hear like a huge thud though. It sounds like she hit her head on the crib bars, but I didn't see it. And the way that she's positioned make it sound like it shouldn't have been a, a head thud. I don't know where the noise comes from. But I go in there. She's crying. She looks terrified. I, I start like walking around with her, and then I sit down in the in the rocker. Left. The fucking llama is in the <laughs> totally opposite corner of the room. It's in the opposite corner of the room where it would be like staring right at the crib. And I don't know if I've ever been this scared in my entire life. So she's asleep. <laughs> I'm like looking at this llama in my peripheral vision, just waiting for it to like jump out and attack me or something. I mean I'm – and so – it sets the entire process of getting her back to sleep back because I rush putting her down because I'm so scared of, of what's going on, and I have to ask Mary if she moved the llama. So I put her down in the crib too soon. She wakes right back up. She starts crying. Mary comes in, and she's like, are you good? Is she going to go back down? I'm like, yeah. She starts to walk away. I'm like, did you move that fucking llama? And she's <laughs> like, yes, I moved it earlier, and I was like, I've never been more relieved in my entire life because – what if she'd said no? Like, like, what if she said, no, I didn't move the llama. It got over there by itself. It's clear. We would have had to have moved. Like, we I was going to say, that's the only option. You got to get out of the house. Like, I, I, I wish there had been a video camera on me sitting there rocking the baby before I knew, like, kind of looking over at the llama every now and then. I've never been more terrified in my entire – it was the scariest realization I've ever been a part of. Like, because, you know – you always wonder what you would do in those situations that you read about or that you hear about in Unsolved Mysteries or spooky stories or whatever. But to be actually in the middle of one or to think you might be is a terrifying thing. It was awful. It was just – I can't even describe the level of terror I had when I first saw that the llama had been moved to the corner of the room.
0: That, that reminds me when I was growing up, my, my little brother Colin at the time. We can never keep <laughs> – he used to be – he'd wake up crying because he'd have the book, the Goosebumps book, The Night of the Living Dummy, like, yeah. staring at him from the bookshelf, and he just couldn't take it. He, like, we literally had to get rid of the book because he was scared shitless of it. But, um, yeah, hopefully hopefully the llama drama and, and uh, Virginia is, is catching some good Zs now.
1: Night of the Living Dummy was w- was terrifying – there was like three *Not of the Living Dummies*. Though I was a big *The Horror* *Camp Jelly Jam* guy. That was my favorite *Goosebumps* growing okay, up. Okay,
0: now now that you bring this up, I do have a *Dan of the Dump* story. God. Okay. this Um, so when I first, this was like the first time I had met my wife's parents. I I just graduated from college. Um, and my wife was very smart. Uh, was a 4.0 student. Um, she's an occupational therapist now, so very book smart. Um, I was not book smart. Um, didn't, <laughs> didn't, didn't, I did not like to read in my spare time. We'll just put it that way. So I remember going out to dinner with them for the first time and they were all talking, they were all talking about what the last book that they read was. And I have no idea why I, cause I was like, Oh, like, you know, I don't really read, uh, too many books. So, like, you don't know the last book you read. And I was like, uh, and I said with a, a literally a serious answer, I was like, I think it was goosebumps. <laughs> and they were like, oh, and I was like, like, literally, I was like, goosebumps, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> like, like, I got in the car and my wife was like, why would you say that? I'm like, I have no idea. That was like literally the dumbest answer I could have given. So, oh. um, yep, that's, uh, that's my Dan in the dumps. Shout out to
1: RL Stein. West yeah. Craven Pod, RL Stein, this pod. Uh, yeah. A couple quick announcements before we wrap things up this week. Um, we're going to have a partnership with Homefield Apparel that I'm really excited about. If you're not familiar, they make the best vintage college athletics uh, shirts and hoodies out there. Um, you can go to homefieldapparel.com. On Twitter, they're Home Field Apparel without the E in apparel, so apparel. pearl. Um, it, just check out their stuff. It, it's really, really cool. I actually, before there was any sort of partnership, I own like seven of their shirts. I've got like a Bucknell shirt, a uh, North Dakota State shirt, a Vermont hoodie. It's really, really comfortable stuff. And they're going to unveil some new Louisville designs this week, to be specific. And I'm super, super pumped about it. It's going to be, uh, I think, really, really fantastic. They got the uniform diversity to sign off it on it there's going to be some dunking bird stuff um i haven't seen the designs yet but i know the guys that work on it and they're very very pumped so be on the lookout for that we'll have some uh special deals and and stuff coming up on the pod and on the website moving forward that's going to be a whole lot of fun um also if you haven't yet please subscribe to the pod wherever you listen to podcasts give us a five-star review uh we got a couple of new ratings but no new reviews. If you do leave us a review, uh, we'll probably read it on the pod. So make that happen. Uh, Dan, do you have any parting thoughts uh, this weekend? Anything else going on in your life? What do you want to say? And on
0: a somber note, um, rest rest in peace, Joe Morgan. Um, All-time Red great. I I hated to see that. Um, You know, he's, uh, as far as, if you're a Reds fan, he's like, i didn't i wasn't old enough to see him play but just hearing my dad tell stories about him um and fun fact about uh joe morgan my dad actually drove my mom to their prom in joe morgan's green cadillac believe it or not so uh very cool story there but um yeah rest in peace to joe morgan
1: RIP Joe. It's uh, yeah, that's that. We're losing too many baseball legends this month. I feel like, but uh, we are going to have more talk on the Notre Dame game. Actually, I don't know. I'm gonna have to get with Keith. There will be a, a pre-Notre Dame pod, but I'm going to see Nate Bargatze uh, drive-in show in Lagrange tomorrow night. So we're not gonna oh, be able nice. to hold our usual time. But I'm very excited about that. Need some humor uh, after the last, you know, billion years or whatever it feels like at this point. So very pumped for that. But we will have a Notre Dame pod at some point. Um, Keep on the lookout for that. Again, home field apparel announcement coming Saturday. That's going to be a lot of fun. And until we talk to you guys again, go Cards. Go Cards. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com.